What up, what up? Welcome into another edition of Grievous Envy. As always, it's your boy Will. We are checking in. How you doing? How you living? If you've been following, you know the deal here. Joining me today is my good friend, my podcasting cousin from across the pond, the one and only Taylor Gang. Taylor Gang. Adam Taylor. What up, Adam? Man, I should have had it queued up on my phone, right? <laughs> We're going to have to figure out the, the licenses, the liberties, or or whatever we can take yeah. with that. But I feel like, you know, I'm still working out. So I have, you know, I have. My, I was thinking about this the other day, Adam. So now that we've got you here full-time with us, and I mentioned this last pod, sometimes it's going to be me and Adam, sometimes it's going to be Greg and Adam, sometimes it's going to be me and Greg. And, of course, y'all know we're going to fuck around and hit you with three-man weeds. Like, that's, that's, that's coming. You know that. But I was thinking, you know, I still don't have my exact intro down for you adam so i'm gonna be playing around with it here over the next couple of episodes when it's just me and you i gotta i gotta find out I, I gotta i got it down pat right now for for greg my best friend co-host blah 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 whatever he's a, he's a coach of the podcast right here with me he's each and every time mr great exactly you see you know yeah. the drill you know the deal so i'm still working out what that's gonna be but i feel like taylor gang especially you know last episode that you were on here when we had brendan on and we previewed the celtics kings you know i was uh i was feeling that brendan picked up on it as well and so i I feel like that's got to at least be a staple of whatever the intro turns into yeah for sure man i mean i I like that song uh i like that intro just honestly just fuck around till you feel comfortable man that's how i met if you remember i settled on um what was it my co-host my homie my compadre I'm doing a really bad English accent right now. <laughs> my co-host, I my compadre. I mean, <laughs> that was horrible. That's more Australian, dude. <laughs> Bro, I, I, I'm, I'm messing it up. It ain't my forte. I gotta. It, it's one of those things where I gotta, <laughs> I gotta, I gotta stay in my lane. But no, that's what I'm saying. You eventually got to one that I thought was really good, and, and there's still gonna be times where you know it's it's you and greg and that's going to be a little bit of a toss-up who wants to, to take on the hosting duty so i'm gonna be interested to see yeah i mean i'm super guys back, up, man. <laughs> i'm like take it take it away dude if you want me to run it i'll do it if you don't then i'm chill man like i'm just here i'm a, I'm coming along for the ride at this point well we love having you here adam this is uh you know it's something that we've had in the works here obviously for a little bit and i've been giddy for the last like two weeks or so knowing that this is our thing and uh you know like i said we're we're, we're still we're still kind of figuring out all of the details but you know, the three of us are homies, and so we figure there's, there's no more delay. We don't need to do any more planning. We'll plan as we go. Let's get into it. And, you know, with that, Adam, let's talk about this Boston Celtics team. They have finally finished this road trip, which felt like, you know, have you ever seen the movie? You've seen the movie Anchorman, right? Oh, of course. Okay, I figured. I feel like during this road trip, most Celtics fans felt like Ron Burgundy when he's trapped inside a glass case of emotion. Like it just, this milk is so warm. (laughs) Milk was a bad choice. Like, I I feel like that was all Celtics fans on this road trip. We are a highly emotional fan base and it felt like the waves were, were, were coming, you know, from everywhere throughout this road trip. But let's take a step back and let's look at this from kind of a holistic view here. Here are some of the undeniable facts about the Celtics' latest road trip. They went 4-2. and They played in multiple time zones, and they piled up wins against Atlanta, playoff team, play-in playoff team, 
Minnesota, play-in playoff team. Portland, Dame God. I mean, listen, is they still got Dame. They're, they're probably not going to make the playoffs, whatever. And then Sacramento, they're the two-slash-three seed who we just hyped up and gave all their flowers to a few episodes ago. And, yeah, they lost to Houston, the worst team in the league. Yeah, I know that wasn't great. And then Utah's been frisky. We know Will Hardy has been one of the best coaches. And so when you really think about the totality of that trip, there's a world in which the Celtics go 6-0. and There's a world in which the Celtics probably should have gone 5-1. and But honestly, 4-2 and for that type of road trip this late in the season – if it wasn't juxtaposed with how hot the Sixers and the Bucks have been, I think we'd be feeling a little bit better. But on the whole, six-game road trip, you go four and two, Adam. It's not probably as bad as we were all freaking it out and making it out to be. Yeah, I mean, the first thing I want to put out there is Houston beat Boston. The next game, they beat Los Angeles. Utah beat Boston. The next game, they beat Sacramento. So these teams that came in like into the game and kind of stole the Celtics lunch money. Well, they went and stole another team's lunch money directly after. Now I get the Lakers are the eleventh seed right now in the West, but they're like two, three games behind being a playoff contender in terms of like the sixth seed. And they're not the same Lakers that were there earlier in the season. Jared Vanderbilt's playing really well for them, D'Angelo Russell, and this is that's for the Lakers podcast to discuss. But what I'm saying is these two teams went and beat other good teams on the next game. It's not like it was an anomaly for them. It it might have been a two-game stretch of anomalies, but that made me feel a little bit more okay. I felt like the Celtics' losses were slightly more vindicated. Like These two teams went and rolled other teams directly after that game. Um, I will say that part of my concern wasn't so much in the results, but it was in the style of play. Yeah, and that's you know, fair. And that, um, and that was going to be my next point to transition us to is th- 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 that was my feel good moment, right? We're coming off the Sacramento <laughs> win. That was the that was the, the best part of the road trip. And you know, I said this to Greg in the last show. Uh, I was going through our YouTube page, which you should all follow us at Green with Envy, as well as you should follow Adam. We're gonna have content on both of those pages, so make sure that y'all are following me. all of us. Like I said, we we hitting y'all with content from here until the end of the season, until the end of the playoff run, left, right, don't. Just subscribe to everything. It's coming at you hot and fast. And I was telling Greg the other day, Adam, man, looking at the last couple of posts we have here, it's all, is Joe Joe Missoula in over his head? What's wrong with the Celtics? Is Grant out of the rotation? I was like, damn, I need some positivity in my life. And so luckily (laughs) that Celtics-Kings game kind of gave it to us, right? That was a breath of fresh air. There was, you know, Rob returning. There was a lot of signs of, this is the team that we want to be. And Missoula went to an eight-man rotation. I thought he did actually really well. For all the criticism, I, I thought that eight-man rotation last night is kind of what I envision as the best form of this team. And then you mix in the Hauser when you need some three-point shooting. You you know, if Peyton Pritchett's healthy again, you need a little energy for five, ten minutes here. You got those guys to, to, to mix them in as needed. And so, you know, to start this podcast, had to had to kind of break it all down. But But I think you're right. That's the... The look of this four and two road trip, the process minus that Sacramento game, you know, which if they had dropped that three and three versus four and two feels like a world of difference right now from what that world would have looked like. But that process was really some of the issues. So what do you think, you know, as we're coming off the Sacramento game in which we just said, you know, it felt a little bit better. What were some of the things that you were seeing in the first five games of that road trip versus Sacramento that hopefully leave you feeling a little bit better? as we head into this upcoming weekend? 
Yeah, I mean, against Sacramento, the main thing for me was Tatum post touches. Like, get and more so, one of the things that I was really kind of harping on about throughout that road trip, whether it was on social media, whether it was with talking with friends, American friends, not English friends, don't have English friends. <laughs> um, I don't, dude. Seriously, I work too much. It's all about basketball. If you don't want to talk basketball, don't talk to me. And I'm sure uh, you, might not, you th- might not have enough friends to talk basketball with over there. No, that's why I don't have friends. Um, no, I'm your common ground. You got friends here. You got um, friends. You got friends through the computer. You screen. got a friend in me. Um, moving on. Yeah. So one of the things I was harping on about was how Jalen Brown was succeeding in spite of the Celtics' offensive system, in terms of hunting threes, playing perimeter-based basketball, and Jalen Brown was kind of like, "No, I'm going to go to the rim." I'm going to get to my spots in the mid-range around the elbow area, and I'm going to do what I know I can succeed in doing. And then it kind of felt like, and I wrote about this for Celtics blog, which should be out by the time everybody starts listening to this or shortly after. Jason Tatum kind of felt like he came into that game against Sacramento, like, yo, that's working for JB, so I'm going to do that too. And they're different enough that they can both look for their spots while still being conducive to winning. And then I think that was a big thing for me was moving away from like pure perimeter based actions. You'd see them run screens and no one would try and cut. They'd mm-hmm. try and fade or flare. So, and then defensively, I feel like they went back to a system that they know they're successful with. They switched everything. And if they did drop, they did it off a peel switch or they were very aggressive in their defense. Whereas I feel like throughout the rest of the road trip, they've kind of been reactive rather than mm-hmm. proactive. And you can't be reactive against Demonta Sabonis. So you have to be proactive. And I feel like that kind of forced them to be better than what they've been. So, yeah, those are probably my two primary takeaways. Yeah, I mean, on that Sabonis point, just real quick, I thought the adjustment to Sabonis, who I thought was, I don't want to say dominant, but he was a problem in that first half, in that Kings game. And I thought they really limited how much of a problem he was in that second half by not not just the switching, but but picking up that switch and hedging a little bit with a second defender so that it just just life was more difficult on a guy like Sabonis. But I wanted to talk real quick about the the Jason Tatum point you brought up, because that was one that that I think, you know, as we look at the Celtics, basically, you know, since the All-Star break, and let's let's specifically talk about Jason Tatum here for a second, you know, since the All-Star break, he still has numbers that that are really good. You know, just the, the straight flat numbers, 27.6 points per game, up to 10.2 rebounds, five and a half assists, 3.1, but the shooting inefficiency has been what stuck out. And this is to your point of him, you know, playing off his co-star Jalen Brown and seeing what he's doing. And I saw you had a tweet here earlier, earlier, Adam, that I'm going to shout out. Tatum has shot 332 pull-up threes this season, hitting 96 of them, which is a 28.9% clip. Not great. He's also shot 291 catch and shoot threes, hitting 115 for just under 40% at 39.5%. And so I think when you look at some of his post all-star numbers, the three, he's been a little bit too reliant on the three point shot. It's up about a full extra shot per game or so. And so I, I think as we look to what the Celtics can take from this road trip and specifically from the end of this road trip and how they look to, you know, be the team that they want to be. And Missoula talked a little bit about this after the Kings game. I think that's a big part of it is, is Tatum getting more focused on getting downhill. And also in that same respect, Missoula and the coaching staff putting him in those positions. And that directly correlates to some of the post touches that you were talking about. Yeah. And I mean, 
the one thing I want to point out is the, it's all well and good being a team that shoots a lot of threes, but you have to accept that not all of your player personnel are elite three-point shooters in the different types of three-point shots available. Whereas Tatum is a high-level catch-and-shoot free guy. He's a low-level dribble pull-up free guy. That's never been his game. It's always been a below-average aspect of his offensive kind of arsenal. Jalen Brown can do that a bit better. He is more of a dribble pull-up free guy. He can score a bit more consistently there. And that's okay because around them, you have Brogdon that can shoot off the dribble at will. You have Hauser that is proving to be a very valuable catch-and-shoot dude. And you have to blend them together, right? You have to ex- You have to understand what your players' strengths and weaknesses are and then coach them that way. So for me, Tatum's at his best, the same as Brown, when he's pressuring the rim. And if the rim's not there, look at the mid-range, look to facilitate. And then once you've found that rhythm and you're feeling it a little bit, now I don't mind you shooting some threes, whether that's after dribble or after catch, because your bread and butter skill set is getting downhill and making shit happen. Mm -hmm. Whether that be getting downhill and kicking it out, getting downhill and finishing around the rim or getting downhill kind of backing a guy up and then seeing what's happening around you surveying the floor and I just feel like they weren't doing that to start this um road trip and before the road trip as well they haven't been doing it since getting back from the all-star break yeah and the one way I say this is you see the Celtics run a lot of high screening actions whether it's a drag screen or a quick action which is where you have a screen in transition for an off-ball player to come over the screen and get the ball the idea is there that you curl off that once you get the ball, you go downhill fast and you create a collapse in the defense and then you find somebody the way they did early in the season. Whereas now they were getting the ball and kind of just being like, well, I'm on the perimeter. I'm going to shoot a free. And then John Mazzula's going into press conferences like, that's a good shot. I like that shot. I want them to take that shot. And you're like, are you seeing the same basketball as me, bro? Yeah. Like, because you have, he knows more than us, but he might be blind. We don't know. He had that scratch <laughs> on Yeah. He's robotic, man. They haven't they haven't upgraded his uh, his new cornea yet. It hasn't it hasn't been uploaded. Uh, but no, I, I mean, I think for me, when it comes to the Celtics in their offense, specifically their shot selection around the three point line, this is going to be a high volume team. You know, they're they're always going to be there. I'm looking at it right now. They're second, you know, in the league, only behind the Warriors for how many threes they shoot per game. And and those two teams are are pretty far and away the most three point heavy teams across the NBA. In third place is the Mavericks at forty point seven. So there's about a two two shot difference, two to three shot difference between the Warriors and Celtics and everybody else. And I'm okay with that. I mean, you look at the Celtics roster; it's built for this to be able. To, to have the spacing, to have that five out. Rob's really the only main guy in the rotation that's that's not shooting threes. And, you know, Malcolm and, and Al basically lead the league in three-point shooting. Grant and Sam are both over 40% three-point shooters. You know, Marcus Smart is certainly a willing three-point shooter. And then you have Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum where, you know, those are our guys that I'm going to ride or die with whatever shots they can take, whatever shots they take. But it, it, to your point, it's the process. I, I will never, whenever fans get upset, and I'm a fan too, I don't want to act like I'm not a fan, but when, when I see people on Twitter get really upset, like, oh my God, they took X amount of threes. I don't give a crap how many, like if they took 50 threes, if they were the right shots, if they were if they were the shots that were off of movement, off of paint touches, off of, you know, m- multiple passes, you know, then I'm fine with it. And, and if we end up hitting, you know, 
seven out of 50, that's a really goddamn horrible night. But if it's somehow seven out of 50 and, and it was the right play, it was the right movement and the shots just weren't going down. I'll live with that because with the guys that we have, I think more often than not, they're going to go in than they won't on a night like that. It's when the, the shots are coming off, you know, less than two passes. It's, you know, this is a moment that I thought was really big. I mentioned this in the last pod is right before the end of the half against Sacramento, Jason Tatum gets the ball in that out of bounds play. And he's on that left wing. That's his little, that's his little kind of safety blanket, right? The one, two dribbles side, left step back, throw up that, that shot and he can make it. And, and you know, that's a shot that he's going to take. He's going to hit it. And I'm, I'm fine with it. I'm comfortable with it. But the fact that he actually drove that ball instead of settling, that's a three-point shot that would be a settling shot. That I don't think he needed to, especially against a Kings team that, that once we saw, you know, the, the middle was wide open. Like, like, like our guy Brendan said, they try on defense, but they're just not very good. Like, th- yeah. there was no one in the middle of that defense. That's clearly a massive issue, and it's going to rear its head in the playoffs for them and is probably one of their biggest limiting factors. But if the Celtics are getting the right shots, I don't care how many they take. I really don't. I just care about the process that they take to get into them. And for me, that that's going to make or break this team is if they can keep up that process and hopefully – with some of the momentum they built up at the end of this road trip, that's what they can carry over and they can bring that through the final nine games of the season. So I want to push back a little bit. I do care how many frees they take if they're not going in. Like if you're finding success, even if it's mediocre success, we're talking like 33%. That's fine. Keep shooting because there's a good chance that you, someone's going to get hot. But it, the one thing that perplexes me about this Celtics team is it's not one guy goes cold. It's, all or nothing. Everyone's yeah. on or everyone's off, and I don't know how that works. I mean, Malcolm Brock is saying this is the 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 tightest knit, closest you know locker room he's ever been a part. It's of. an ecosystem. Maybe, yeah, I was gonna say maybe it's like it's just like a chain reaction thing. It's a. Uh, I feel like in horror movies. Uh, did you watch a not horror? Well, it is horror movies, but um, uh, what's Stranger Things? The show on on Netflix. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what what's the thing they call it? Because it's all connected. There's a certain word they use for. Um, for the yeah, monster, I, in I that. can't remember, I, I can't remember what the word yeah. is, but it, but it feels like it's almost like if it happens to one guy, it's happening to everybody. Yeah, and like that's fine. Like I'm okay with that, but you need to be self-aware enough to at some point be like, "Yo, this isn't our night. Let's drive the rock, and then we'll try again in a little while." Because you see, whenever the Celtics close gaps when they're shooting poorly, it's when they start attacking the rim. What annoys me the most is they close the gap and then they're like, okay, it's close again. We'll go back to shooting a three. No, dude, build a fucking lead first. Um, the other thing is, as well, you mentioned, like if, if it comes off two passes, then great. I'm all for the ball movement, but if players aren't cutting at the same yeah. time as the ball moving, well, it's not really doing much. I could pass the ball to you. You can pass it to Greg. Greg can pass it back to you, pass it back to me. No one's mm-hmm. moved. The defense, all they've done is really turn their head and took one step one way, one step another, and then shoot. And you'll hear someone like, that was great ball movement. No, it wasn't. The ball moved. <laughs> it wasn't great. Um, so I think that, and we've seen that, right? Like I remember watching old college games. I said this to Keith Smith the other day. I remember watching old college games when we first got college basketball here and used to just see the ball go weak side, strong side corner all the way around. And then all the way back, and they'd just be passing it because the shot clock's like a yeah. year long. And, and no one if it's moves. versus zone defense sometimes too. It's, <laughs> it's just moving the ball. In but the no one moves, bro. Yeah. Like, and it's like, dude, just someone cut. And I think that was missing from the Celtics in those first four games. I think they started to figure it out a little bit against Houston. It looked better, um, apart from obviously the collapse. 
And it looked better again against Portland, and then it just looked fantastic against Sacramento. Yeah. So I think that's some strong momentum for the Celtics to build off. They built the lead. They maintained the lead. So we'll have to see what that looks like. But we're going to take a quick break here. And then when we come back, let's let's take a look at, at what the Celtics' home stretch looks like for them to go ahead and try and capture that one seed. All right, Adam. So right now, as we're recording this, the Celtics are getting set up. They have nine games left. They actually have less games than the two other teams that we're going to talk about here, the Bucks and the Sixers. They each have 11 games left. But as we're talking right now, the Bucks sit atop the Eastern Conference at 51 and 20. Celtics follow 50 and 23, two games back. Phillies 48 and 23, three games back of the one seed. Probably a little bit of a stretch for them to get that one seed. So that's really kind of the Celtics are, you know, fighting for that, still potentially fighting for that one seed and then trying to hold off the 76ers who will actually play the Bulls the night that we're recording this. So we'll, that, that result will have already happened. So we'll know where they're at in the standings. But looking at, you know, 538 here just for the projected records. Of these teams down the stretch, they have currently have Milwaukee slated to finish 58 and 24, Celtics 56 and 26, 76ers 54 and 28. And as you look at the games that they have left, so I mentioned the Sixers have 11 games left and they have the hardest schedule out of these three teams. They've got away games against Golden State, Phoenix, Denver, Milwaukee, Brooklyn to end the season, and home games against the Celtics and the Heat. The Bucks, they're going to be at Denver. Home against Boston, home against Philly, home against Memphis. Those are their toughest games. And for the Celtics, this is where the Celtics will have opportunity. Obviously, they're going to be head-to-head with each of these teams. So getting those wins will be significant in either holding off Philly for the two seed or having an opportunity to jump ahead to grab that one seed from Philly. And then their their final stretch of the season is three straight home games against Atlanta and two against Toronto. So what I want to talk about right now is, you know, looking at what Boston has in front of them. Do you still feel like, number one, is the one seed a realistic option that you think the Celtics should be going for? And number two, does it matter? Okay, first of all, if you can beat Milwaukee at, in Milwaukee's house, if they can go to play the Bucks and win, yeah, the, the one seed is a realistic option. That pulls you one game behind as long as you handle your business while the Bucks are handling their business. At which point, given the difference in rest, in travel, and in quality of opponent, the Celtics should feel confident at least tying for the first seed and then like looking at a tiebreaker towards the very end of the season. I think that as a competitor, like whenever I was pl- playing sports, whenever I'm at j- jiu-jitsu or whatever, which I haven't been for about a year now, but I'm going, I've got, I'm going back this week, just saying that, so I'll put it out into the universe. Um, as a competitor, I want to finish the highest place possible. I don't care whether it means much to, to the grand scheme of things, but the confidence boost of being like, we came into the season as Eastern Conference champions. We finished the season as the best team, the team with the best record in the Eastern Conference. Those type of things might not mean much in the grand scheme, but for a psyche, for a locker room, I think that can be galvanizing. Like, yo, we did what we were meant to do. We're the Eastern Conference champs. We came in, we finished first. Finishing second's fine. Like, you know, it is what it is. Um, does it matter in the grand scheme of things? Maybe. Like, it depends who finishes eighth, right? And who, fi- like, it's really hard to look at now does a playing tournament because before you could be like, right, this team's going to finish eighth. That matchup's not great. The team finishing seventh would be a better matchup. You know, being second isn't that bad. Yeah. 
Um, and Greg kind of brought this up the other night because he was saying, you know, and I think this is a general consensus. If we could, we prefer to avoid Miami in the first round, not yeah. because we're not going to beat Miami, but that's a shit show of the first <laughs> round. We, we, we've seen Miami too many times. And number one, just for my mental health and my love of basketball, I, I just personally do not enjoy Celtics heat games. No. I just think it's, it's more, it's, like I, I enjoy that there's more physicality to it, but at times it doesn't even feel like basketball. It's, and it's just such a slugfest. Yeah, it's just such a slugfest. And so, you know, that's to your point that you're making here. That's kind of the team you're you're eyeing. Like, man, we could probably beat them, but just if now we have to go through, and, and let's just say the Celtics end up at, you know, right now the Heat are, I think they're a half game behind Brooklyn right now for that six seed. And like you said, with the play-in, this makes it so chaotic because even if they end up in that seven seed, they would they would probably beat Atlanta in a in a seven game series, no problem. One game, Trey Young goes off for fifty points, and you know something happens like that could totally happen. And all of a sudden, the Hawks are seven seed, and the Heat are the eight. And now, you know whether you got the one seed or not, you're still you're still facing you that same it? issue. Yeah, it's a loss of right? playing the Heat. And yeah, this is a win, a win is a loss. Look, I love the playing tournament for adding additional competition at the end of the season, making the final games of the year more meaningful. But I do think it's mm-hmm. had a negative effect on the trade deadline. And I think it's had a negative effect on teams figuring out how they want to play. I mean, again, this goes against what I just said because it makes you competitive. Yeah, but it if makes I'm, you play it through. But if I'm Boston and I'm like, man, I could finish first and get a worse matchup than finishing second, screw it. I'm going to kind of take my foot off the gas a little bit. You, you mm-hmm. get that right. But then you have to like be like, Royal, with. Philadelphia breathing down your neck. The third seed actually does make a difference because now you're talking home court advantage and things start to change. So I think that second seed is more important than the first in terms of keeping home court and then, you know, keeping distance from that third seed. But at the same time, man, honestly, all depends who you're going to have to face. Like if you're facing Miami finishing second, then you need to finish first and vice versa. Well, so here's the thing. So this this is the nightmare scenario right here is the Celtics finish in third, which first of all means that Philly with its toughest schedule is playing some of the, I mean, they're already playing good basketball right now, but they continue to play great basketball down the stretch. And when you look at the Celtics schedule, that means, you know, and we're going to talk about just leading up to this weekend, they have games against Indiana, San Antonio, Washington. They play Utah again. They play, you know, Toronto teams on the bubble, Atlanta. Like those are games that they should, and a lot of those are at home. They should take care of business if they want to maintain that two seed or have a chance to grab that one seed. So the worst scenario for the Celtics is they fall to that three seed. Philly's riding hot. They get that two seed. Miami overtakes Brooklyn. They get that six seed. Now your path to the finals is against Miami, who you just played a seven-game series with in the Eastern Conference Finals last year and came a Jimmy Butler three that – if I had to bet, you know, at, at the time, I could have sworn, I would have bet my life that that shot was going in. I 100% was convinced that Jimmy Butler shot was going in. It didn't. So let's go to the finals and everything was cool. But you're looking at a seven-game series against the Miami Heat. You're looking at playing Philadelphia without home court advantage, then having to go to Milwaukee, most likely, on the, in the Eastern Conference Finals on the road. That's a daunting task. Can it be done? Yes. Is that the absolute worst scenario right now for the Celtics as we try to, with to the best of our knowledge, kind of sort out what the playoff picture could look like? That's what you're looking at if you don't secure that two seed, whereas at least you get that two seed, 
there's more opportunity for that first round matchup to be likely the Nets or the Hawks instead of the Heat. And then you get home court against Philly and you're still going to have to go on the road against Milwaukee. But hopefully your road to get to that point hasn't been quite as brutal. You have a little bit more left in the tank. We'll see what lessons they've learned from last year. And maybe you're a little bit fresher. And we've seen the Celtics win big games in Milwaukee. So if that's because all championship teams are going to have to overcome certain hurdles. But that's what I think the Celtics really have to focus on is that I think that two seed, even though I'll take health over seeding every single day, that two seed is going to be very important, like you're saying. Yeah, I think that's got the most value for me is just finishing top two, right? And this yeah. is where if there anyone to play in Milwaukee, either way, if you're going yeah. to make the NBA finals, you're playing Milwaukee and it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to be the toughest series. You, I think that that is really actually here's one, one quick question, a little, little bit of a divergent here. But between Milwaukee, Boston, and Philly, who we're talking about right now, whichever one of them, because I think those are the three teams, one of those three teams, in my opinion, will represent the East in the in the NBA Finals. Is there any team out West you would pick to beat one of those three teams? Hmm. I think it's matchup dependent, right? Like, I think a healthy Lakers is a good matchup for the Sixers. You're still considering the Lakers as a team that can make the NBA Finals? No, I'm just saying. You said out west, it could be them. What I'm saying, a, a team that could make the NBA. Okay, so the that's, Warriors that's, are a bad matchup for everybody because they're just so annoying. Um, but they can't win on the road. And they can't. They've won them. seven games on the road all year. But it's the Warriors, I think I'm done man. The Warriors. They're just turning on. I know. I, I think, think I'm done though. I but, think the Nuggets. I mean, they're having a bad shout at the moment. I still think, like, okay, so I think matchup wise, Philadelphia probably have the best matchups against Western competition. Because Harden's just such a good initiator. Max is so good. Embiid is Embiid. I think Boston match up well. No, do you know what? No, there is. Uh, yeah, there is Phoenix. I think that's Phoenix, kind of my point. That's what yeah. I was at. Phoenix is the one wild card because we don't know what the hell they look like, right? They're We've seen right. three games with Kevin Durant. <laughs> and, and, and they could be, they could, I think next year, my guess is just, it's, I can't think of, I mean, it's never happened before the way that if they were to win a championship this year, like this would be so un- wildly unprecedented the way that it all went Ch- down. No one would ever be able to, yeah, no one would be able to to recreate that. So, but, but I think, you know, save for the wildest of wild cards in Phoenix, I'm picking Milwaukee, Boston, and Philly over any Western conference team. So to the point we're talking about getting through the East. Now, obviously, health could make a difference once you get there. Yeah. But I'm saying if those teams come out, you know, relatively healthy with their main guys, like that could be the championship is getting through the East, which is why I think this seeding and, you know, where you're going to be and what your path is, is going to play such an important role in the long run. But that's why so many people are annoyed about minutes played, right? Minutes per game for some of these guys. Like, Missoula's ran these guys' minutes per game up for a while now. Like 38, 39, 40 minutes. And you're like, shit, yeah, everyone's like, it doesn't matter. But I'm like, throughout the season, they add up. And then I think it's inevitable we're going to see at least two seven-game series. If Boston make it through to the NBA Finals, they're going to go through two seven-game series. I, I, I think it, yeah, I, I think that's right. Especially if they end up in with Miami. Yeah. They end up with a path that includes, regardless of what the seeds are, if it's Miami, Philly, and Milwaukee, I, seven games. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if you can do this. Yeah, FanDuel, DraftKings. Can I put money on that? That we're we're going we're going a six game and two seven game series just to get out of the East. Yeah, that's the case. And then whoever you and that makes a huge difference, especially if the team on the other side goes gentleman sweep six games. Six games, you know what I mean? That that's yeah. They've got way less mileage on the clock, and the Celtics haven't exactly had 
um, minutes managed season where guys are going to be fresh. They're already dealing with injuries. Smart's got an injured ankle. Tatum's been playing with the injured wrist. Rob Williams is just injured. Um, there's no- <laughs> <laughs> we just don't know. We just we just don't know. Although he looked good. He looked. Uh, he did, we got to yeah. give him his props. He looked, he, looked, possess- he looked good in that Kings comeback. There was one possession where he come down from a rebound and just didn't go up the other side of the court, though. <sighs> Bro, okay, so. I don't know if I've ever rooted for a guy that just injury-wise, I feel like every time I'm watching him, I'm glued to his reactions to when he lands. Like, I I don't know. You know how there's lethal shooter and all these other, like, shooting coaches? Can we get Rob a landing coach? Is there a lethal landing coach that we can get? Or just a skydiving coach? Land? Like, figure out how to land <laughs> it. It's, it's bad. It's, it's, it's something that gives me a panic attack every time. But, you know, of course, once again, the, the health is going to be an issue. But he did look good against Sacramento. We'll, we'll hope that that. And then you've always got to worry about Brogdon. I know he's been, touch wood, healthy. But history tells us that there's a chance that he might get hurt. And then you've got Al, who's old. like this, And then <laughs> Derek White is just inhuman at this point. So you have to think about what wear and tear is going on to his body. Like, there's concerns everywhere in the more the longer series you have to play because the playoffs are so physical. If you've got to do two or three of them, like, you're not the team in the finals that you were in game one of the of the first round because you're just too beaten and bruised. And I think that's a big issue. And that's why I think, like, there are teams out there that could potentially roll over one. Because Milwaukee are going to have it the same way, you know. They're going to have at least two seven-game yeah. series. So are Philadelphia. Um if you're in that one spot, you're you're lining up for a second round series against Cleveland or the Knicks, yeah. and those are two really good defensive teams. Cleveland has, I think, a higher end potential because of the Donovan Mitchell, Evan Mobley, pops, Darius Garland factor. But with the Knicks, they're going to beat the crap out of you. If they get through that first, you. they're they're they're, they're going to hurt you. Like that, they're almost similar to Miami in the sense that man, that's just going to be a brutal. And then they've obviously played the Celtics very well. If the Celtics are to propel to that one seed. I mean, both Cleveland and the Knicks have won the season series against the Celtics, so can you that's imagine, not a cakewalk either. Can you imagine a Game 7 or a Game 6, depending on how home court falls, or whatever mm-hmm. it is, Game 5, well, I don't care, in Madison Square Garden? It'd be Game 6 based on the, yeah. the, the schedule, but yeah, that would be... That would be pretty epic. One of uh, one of Greg and I's uh, best friends out here in Austin, our guy, our guy Matt Liptag, who's part of our part of our basketball team, will be seeing later tonight. Hopefully, going to get two dubs for the boys out here tonight. Green with you them. know, uh, you know it. And um, yeah, he's a, he's a big Knicks fan, and so we've talked about it before that if the Celtics and Knicks end up in the playoffs, we may have to make it. I've never I've never seen a game at Madison Square Garden, and it's on my bucket list. And I think the three of us may have to make that happen. So we might we might get some on scene Green with Envy reporting. I might if, have uh, to go if that is the case. Yo, Madison Square Garden, man. Yo, so if we go. Uh, I know. I've heard it's unbelievable, man. We should get Macri there. Yeah, and then we'll just all start a fight. Like, <laughs> nah, seriously, though, look, we'll, we'll, we'll start a rumble, we'll start a new viral video outside. I just think the tickets would be so expensive, bro. Oh, they'd be insane. So, we, we'd be working connections left and right to see see what we could do. That one would be uh, that would be a tough pull, but I think, but but I'm mean, as much as the Knicks have played the Celtics well, like, I love the Boston New York rivalry. Yeah. That's it's just in, I mean, it's most people probably default to the Red Sox and Yankees as the Boston New York rivalry, but it's there for every sport. The Bruins it's just Rangers. there for every sport. 
Bruins and Rangers are right there. Pats and the, you know, the Giants and the and the Jets, they've got their own things. Giants because of the Super Bowls, Jets in, you know, in division rivals. And then with the Celtics and Knicks, like it's always wanted to be a little bit more than it is. Like I think that was a part of, you know, how the NBA did rivalry week yeah. this year. I think Celtics and Knicks was a part of it. And Celtics and Knicks always wants to be in that mix. And it has the Celtics, the most, you know, the winningest franchise in the sports history. New York, the, you know, most prideful basketball mecca they call themselves the mecca these motherfuckers have won two championships and it, their entire yeah, existence yeah and and it's barely make life. the playoffs each year but it but it is it's different it's different when new york is good and you can feel that through the tv and so with the two fan bases the you know the regionality of it all like Part of me wants that, even if it might not be the best thing for the Celtics. Part of me wants that. And I would certainly take a Nick Celtics series over another Celtics Heat series. I'm just I'm just done with that. Yeah, and like, you know, like okay, first of all, the Knicks are the Snorlax of the NBA. They're a sleeping joint. Um shout out Pokemon <laughs> reference. I genuinely believe that when they're good, they, their fan base is as rabid and can be a six man for New York the same way the T D Garden can for Boston, right? And I think that's an underappreciated aspect. Like I remember when they were playing my Boston were playing Miami last year. And I said to you, like it's night and day going from a game in a home game in Boston to an away. Like no one gave a fuck in Miami. Like there was like the game was starting back after halftime and the seats are empty. There's dudes there that are blinged out that clearly don't care about basketball. They're just showing off, showing off to whichever chick they're with at the time. Um, I, I mean, yeah, I'd rather watch it for entertainment purposes, but I think that, Honestly, I think New York or Cleveland are probably seven game series. Yeah, that's a, and that's the point we're making here is that there there is no easy route. So I think for the Celtics down the stretch here, the one seed would be nice, comes with its own flaws. The two seed feels feels kind of mandatory at this point to to make sure you have that home court outside of the the Buck series. But there's not going to be an easy path to it. And, and here's the thing, Adam. Getting up to the one seed at this point, that's going to take obviously beating Milwaukee in their head-to-head and then to even have a chance at it. You know, we're looking ahead to this weekend right now. Just specifically, you and I talked about this before we started recording. We play Indiana on Friday night. This podcast is coming out on Thursday. Play Indiana tomorrow night. And then we play the Spurs on Sunday night. Indiana's talented. Spurs are the worst team in the league. Yeah. Like, you have to go ahead and get those wins. Indiana's super young. They, they haven't been able to you know get back into really the, the play-in race or still on the outside looking in. If you really want to have a chance at that one seed, and really even if you just want to sure up that two seed, given all the teams I listed who Philadelphia is going to have to go through, and they gave us a gift the other night falling to the Bulls in that double overtime game, you got to get these wins. This is no more. And, th- and that's where I think from the road trip, the Houston game, really was 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 tough for Celtics fans to get over because it's like wait we're in a fight for the for the one and the two seed and we're dropping games to Houston basically you know and this is where I think Scal's point on the on the low post was they just didn't show up they just they just weren't focused like that's throw that like like you can only throw so many games out but that was a game where it's just like you guys just didn't care enough and then when you tried to care you know Houston had enough momentum to hold you hold you off even despite the late comeback And I think with these next two home games, trying to build off the momentum that we've harped on on this episode here from, you know, from the Kings game, you got to take care of business on Friday and Sunday night. If you don't, you don't deserve the one seed and the two seed is certainly going to be in a lot of trouble if you can't knock these games out the way that you should. I mean, 
the problem is it all comes down to how, like you say, the momentum, but it all comes down to how the players view this as well. Like, do the players really care about being a one seed? Do they feel like they're going to finish second no matter what? How are they feeling after that road trip, like coming back home? Is their body going to recover? I mean, the biggest thing is the time zone changes, and now they're changing time zone again to come back to Boston. How are they going to respond to that? And then you have like, you know, they're going to be with their families. They're going to be with their friends. Are they sleeping enough now that they're back? There's so many factors that come into it. And I want them to win both. But I feel like the Pacers aren't an easy out. You know what I'm saying? Like Tyrese Halliburton's legit. Benedict Mafferin's proved like, you know, he was like, he came into the league saying he was going to be as good or better than LeBron. And he's playing his butt off. Miles Turner's playing well. Neesmith's having a good year there. Like, that's not an easy win. And it's definitely a game you should win, but I can feel like Mm -hmm. that might be a trap game for Boston as well. Like, they might come in thinking it's going to be easier than what it is. First game back in front of a home crowd. They feel like they, you know, they've got a bit of swagger back after beating Sacramento. Mm -hmm. And this is the type of game we've seen them lose throughout the season, coming off a big win, going back home, playing. As as you were talking, it sounded like to me in my head, I was like, oh shit, this is the recipe for a game that we just lose that we shouldn't. Yeah. Like, as you were saying it, that was all starting to add up in my head, everything that you're saying. So, it, yeah, it, it's one of those games that, that could come up a little sneaky, bite you on the butt. Like, Taliban and quick 35. Yeah. I mean, like you said, Indiana has talent, so I don't want to lump them with, with the Spurs. That that Spurs game just has to be a win. I don't care. I don't care how you get it done. It's gotta be a win at the end of the game. I don't I don't I don't I don't give a crap if it's a one point buzzer beater. It just has to be a win. I don't I don't care. Indiana, that will be the game that I think will you know that, that will tell me at least a little bit of how this team is approaching this final stretch, their mentality from the coaching standpoint and all that. So I you know, despite it being Indiana and San Antonio this weekend, I think it should be a good weekend of basketball for the Celtics. It's gonna be telling. We'll be scoreboard watching. This is kind of that fun time of year where now you're probably gonna have the Celtics game pulled up and you'll have either on your phone or your laptop, whatever the other game is going on at the same time. You're trying to see what's happening in real time as the standing shift. So it's a fun part of the season, Adam. We are we're gonna wrap this episode here of Green with MB, but we're gonna obviously be back over the weekend. Uh, we'll have more from myself, Adam, Greg. Like I said, stay tuned to everything. Make sure you're following Adam on all of his social media platforms. Give that a quick shout, really, Adam. Just so make sure. I think everyone should know, but yeah. just, just do it again. At, at Adam Taylor MBA on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. I think that's it. Follow me at Wilbon13. Follow at Manegas Music. Follow anything that says at Green with Envy. You're going to find all of our stuff on YouTube, Instagram. Uh, we're, we're looking at moving into some Facebook material. We're going to be everywhere, damn it. Just follow us. Come find us. Uh, we're going to be putting out a lot of content, and we are very excited to do so. Adam, as always, man, it's been a pleasure. We'll uh, we'll check back in over the weekend, my guy. Peace. Peace. I wish it that I never seen the stars in your eyes A glimpse of what I'm missing, think it is a mirage Ooh, you got me tripping and it's hard to describe But I stay for a minute cause I'm digging the vibe I like the way you're looking at the look in my eyes Don't be casual feelings when it's only a vibe Don't know what the deal is, I'm a typical guy You know the one thing different is the state of your mind I'm like, oh 
my mind, someone throw me a rope I'm getting too damn high, didn't know I could float You could call it a vibe, it's probably all that she wrote But I'd be doing this shit finally if I didn't have hope Cause you know that that embody, that's what go with the flow I could sing a different song if I cannot hit the notes You had me taking off and you took off your clothes It should be coming down by now, but I won't Let's go.